0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. I appreciate you giving me your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, we have such an awesome show today. On the show, I have wildlife photographer, naturalist, and best-selling author Wayne Lynch. Wayne has been photographing wild bears for over 40 years. This guy is it was was so awesome to talk to. I you know first and foremost, I've always had a fascination with bears. I live in Idaho and so we do have black bears here. We also have grizzlies like, you know, like way up north or brown bears, I should say way up north. And there's always just a fascination with them. I think growing up as a kid, everyone has a fascination with bears. And you know, Wayne is no different. When he was younger, he talks about how he used to be scared of bears and now he is a leading authority on writing books about them. He is getting ready to release a brand new book. And that book is called Bears of the North, A Year Inside Their Worlds. And basically, Wayne looks at the four northern species of bears on our planet. He looks at the life cycles of brown bears, polar bears, Asiatic black bears, and American black bears. And he documents their lives in this book, and it also is a book with spectacular photographs. I had such a great time talking to Wayne, and you guys, I had a lot of questions, and I just asked him what it was like photographing bears i asked him you know what he does for safety i asked him you know what do you do if a bear charges you do you carry a gun do you have bear spray i mean what do you do because bears are dangerous animals and this guy has like 40 years of experience you know photographing them in the wild what do you do i asked him his thoughts on hunting bears I ask him about people who have been tragically killed by bears, including Timothy Treadwell, who is the famous grizzly man who was eaten by bears back in the early 2000s. Wayne also goes into the story of his friend who unfortunately was killed by brown bears in Asia. And he goes into what happened and he goes into a lot of things that a lot of people don't know about bears including their lives including the you know the the moms intimate moments with their cubs he talks just about how bears have personality how they're more than just these simple minded animals that people often think they are. So I, like I said, had such a good time talking to Wayne. I know that you are going to love it. And I'm not going to lie. I'm super jealous of Wayne because I mean, I would love to see polar bears in the wild. And he talks about just photographing polar bears. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I mean, I honestly wanted to say, Hey, Wayne, can you please take me on your next polar bear expedition? I promise I'll be quiet. I promise. I don't know. I don't know if I could keep in that excitement to see like a real life polar bear. I would be like, oh my gosh, you know, inside. So anyway, before we get to it, as always, please make sure to uh, rate and review the show and leave us a rating on iTunes or, you know, whichever podcasting platform you listen to. We've had some recent new reviews and I appreciate all of you for doing that. It just helps push the podcast out there. I also encourage you to join Wayne and I over for the After Show. The After Show is a way for you to listen to the full interview of the Animals to the Max podcast. The After Show is when we get more in depth with our guests. Wayne and I talk about the mysterious moon bears or spirit bears in the After Show. We also talk about Wayne's best-selling book, The Scoop on Poop. Yes, I had a lot of questions about that because that is a <laughs> that book literally put Wayne on the map. So we discussed that and more in the after show. All you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max to enjoy that after show. But with that said, let's get to it wayne welcome to the show thank you can i tell you this i am so excited one of the perks is of hosting a podcast we get advanced copies of books and this i mean this book is phenomenal i haven't finished it yet being fully honest because they just sent it to me but the photographs are incredible
1: thank you very much good I didn't know they gave
0: you books with text inside. I thought it was just the cover. Oh no, <laughs> no! This is this is amazing. And in this book, the book is titled "Bears of the North: A Year Inside Their Worlds." Wayne, I've been doing some digging and you know research about you. You've been photographing bears for forty years. Yes, indeed. That's when it started
1: uh, back in Yellowstone in 1982. My wife, uh, I just finished a book on prairies, on the ecology of the prairies. And I was reading this great book. Uh, I was leading a tour, a photo tour in Yellowstone, and I was reading this wonderful book about the bears of Yellowstone. I said, Ah, that's my next project. Bears. There can only be a few hundred papers. I'll wrap it all up in two, you know, one year, two years, because my first book had taken four years, and that was too long if I hoped to make a living as a freelance writer and photographer. So, uh, nine years later, <laughs> I didn't realize that there were going to be so many papers written about bears and that I would do, have to do so much traveling. But uh, that's the way it went.
0: Well, nine years. I mean, so it took nine years. Worth. At some point, did you ever want to give up, Wayne, and it was just too overwhelming?
1: Well, no, Well, no, because it was too exciting what I was learning. I mean, I'm a, I'm a science junkie, and I love the science, and I loved working with researchers a lot. And they were always so inviting and, and helpful and in taking me out into the field with them and um, so no it was never never something that I said I would quit I'm not a quitter and so uh, there we are and so that was the very first book I did on bears and I kind of left it did some children's books and some young adult books on bears but then I said well you know it was 25 years later and the research had changed a lot I had stayed in touch with the research, I said it's time to redo that original book and add all the new data and exciting discoveries that
0: have been made surrounding bears. And okay, here we are, and here we are, and so you focus in this yeah, book. Okay. Go ahead. What'd you say?
1: It's Been really nice talking to you. Bye-bye.
0: Oh, bye bye. Oh yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> See ya. Uh, yeah, and then and then buy the book at Barnes and Noble or Amazon. <laughs> uh, uh, I was. Book near you. At a bookstore near you. So Wayne, I have a question. So there are eight species of bears in the world. Why did you only want to focus on four of them? Well, those are the northern species. And
1: first of all, those are the ones we know most about. Okay. And number one. Number two, uh, they are the ones that hibernate and in very similar biological patterns. So that was the sort of number two reason. And number three, um, my experience revolved around the Northern Hemisphere bears, and those are the ones that uh, most of us see. The other, like the panda or the Andean bear in South America, the sloth bear in India, or the sun bear in Southeast Asia, were really not well known to readers and all the rest. And, and because so little research had been done on them, the book would have been three pages long and uh, instead of what it is. so So that was it the, the commonality they're the same genus as well scientific name they're the same uh, genus ursus whereas the others have a different genera
0: okay okay and you mentioned something let's clear something up about bears and hibernation wayne let's
1: sure.
0: let's clear it up because there's a lot of speculation do bears really hibernate
1: yes they do and uh, what what How we define that is what happens to their metabolism. Hibernation is a way for an animal to reduce its energy needs during a time when uh, weather may be inclement and food may be in short supply. So it's an energy saving strategy. So everything from a marmot all the way up to uh, a bear are hibernators. And so bears are, but the hibernators differ in how they hibernate say bats uh, hibernate differently than a marmot does, than does a ground squirrel, than does a bear. And because a bear is such a big bodied animal, it can't hibernate the same way as a small bodied animal such as a bat or a marmot does so if it let its body temperature drop way down almost to the freezing level which some ground squirrels do it would take them forever to bring their body temperature all the way back up again because every hibernator needs to interrupt its hibernation now and then and bring its body temperature and metabolism back up to normal and it's interesting that's the interesting stuff that's been discovered is that they have to bring periodically
0: come back to normal simply so they can sleep. Okay. I'm just so confused, Wayne, because I've read things where people, and I've even said this on national television, you know, I mean, truly like in, you know, talking to biologists, because they say that bears aren't technically true hibernators. Do you just kind of roll your eyes at that? Because it's just like,
1: well, I don't know what a true hibernator is. Uh, is, is it uh, a, a long duration um, metabolic strategy to save energy? that's what to me hibernation is mm-hmm. now bears they don't drop their temperature as much as a ground squirrel mm-hmm. their metabolism doesn't drop as much but it achieves the same thing it's it's meant to be to bring everything down as low as possible and so that they can save energy when they can't feed and mm-hmm. that's so to me however you want to call it. it's variation that's all it is
0: within the hibernation spectrum very nice awesome so during this book you have the the four bears of the north so you talk about polar bears you talk about brown bears asiatic black bears and american black bears yes yeah. that is that's amazing it.
1: <laughs> that's it <laughs> Nice chatting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice chatting. That is, I mean, bears are so fascinating. And, you know, you actually talk about, like, in the beginning of the book, how they used to terrify you as a kid and they would be, you know, in your nightmares.
1: Yes, that's right. And, uh, And I don't know why that was. I guess because... Uh, maybe because of my parents or my uncles or whatever it was, uh, would just scare parents and uh, scare children into thinking that bears were always out there to kill you or to eat you. I don't know. I don't know how that arose. I mean, there was Yogi Bear on television. So he was a friendly bear and a cartoon character. But uh, for some reason, it was bears because that was the biggest predator for any for any child in North America. That's the predator that everyone thinks of. I mean, there are mountain lions and there are. Uh, uh, wolves mm. but really the one that comes that most children would encounter or, or hear about would be the bear mm-hmm. and so that, that's all it was but it was just a childhood um nightmare but yeah you know, that i don't have those anymore
0: yeah look at you now <laughs> writing a book about them and so you've been you know photographing them for 40 years tell, tell me what that's like. I mean, that's just, and you've traveled by the way, all around the world, which I am so jealous of your resume of it's like, of all the places you've been, but what is that like photographing bears for over 40 years? Well, I mean,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's been a real privilege, number one. And, um, and it's just uh, the, what you find out when you study any animal, whether it's bears or whether it's loo- I'm writing a book right now on loons, and so I've traveled a lot to look at loons. And but what you it doesn't matter which animal group you look at, you see that the extreme variability that exists in their behavior and um, and and that's exciting to me because we always tend to think of animals as being very simple, simple minded, simple behavior, all the rest. But they have they have personalities just like we do. They have, they, I feel that they probably have the same emotions as we do. Most scientists won't ever say that, but remember, our species is only 200,000 years old and, and uh, carnivores and mammals have been around for hundreds of millions of years. So the emotions that you have and that I have are are inherited emotions. We didn't suddenly invent fear, uh, guilt, um, uh, 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 when grief, for example. Mm. They didn't just suddenly arise 200,000 years ago. So animals have these same emotions, uh, probably differently than we do, but that doesn't mean they don't have them. And so when you start seeing uh, animals like bears, there are curious ones, there are timid ones, there are aggressive ones, just like there are with people. And, and so that's the exciting part. You can go, I've gone to, um, uh, to Svalbard in, in the Norwegian Arctic since 1997, maybe 20 times. Wow. And I see over and over and over again polar bears but they're different they don't they don't behave the same they do the same general thing they're out hunting seals but some of them are very curious and will come right up to the vehicles come right up to our boats other than as soon as they see someone they race away they're not a hunted population so they haven't learned to inherently fear us it's just the variation within any population in, on television you'll watch programs about lions i mean lions are you know everyone loves lions and you see the cubs vary in their in their curiosity in their um just just uh whether they get frightened or not easily so that that's that's having studied animals for long years of time you see wow there's lots of complexity here that we don't understand we'd like to make them simple critters that we I, you see when we simplify an animal it's easier for us to control its destiny We can shoot it. We can get rid of it. Oh, it's just a simple, stupid animal. But anybody who owns a dog or a cat knows that there's lots of variation in personalities within those animals. Why would there not be within wild animals from which domestic animals evolved?
0: Yeah. Oh, that was so well said. One hundred percent. So you go in. Which were the first bear species that you start photographing? Were they black bears? Yeah,
1: those were the first ones I saw. And uh, that's. I can remember my wife saying, I said to her, "Uh, Aubrey, Aubrey, I got a great idea. I'm going to do a book on bears. She said, what, are you crazy? I mean, you're going to get killed, you know, and so in those days, I thought black bears would be the easiest because those were the ones that I had seen since childhood. I'd never seen a brown bear, and so brown bears, polar bears. Uh, will be really hard to get. And then Asiatic black bears, really impossible. Well, it turns out polar bears are the easiest and black bears, which are the most common, are the hardest to get pictures because they're in forested environments. They tend to be uh, in shadowed areas. So from a photography standpoint, they're more difficult to get pictures of. The open country bears, like uh, the polar bear that's out on sea ice, and then the brown bread that's out on tundra you can see and so you can see their behavior and, and photograph it and um, whereas
0: it's harder black bears are still the hardest of the three to do i would not have guessed i guess from a photography standpoint that makes sense but i would have thought that polar bears looking at i mean safety wise they would probably be the, the most dangerous to photograph would you agree
1: yes they are and uh, and but but because there are places now, I mean, there's sort of, for every animal, there's a place on the planet where you can go that it's uh, uh, an unwary population, they're not hunted, you can watch them from relatively close range. And that applies to the bears too. So I keep saying in the Norwegian Arctic, Svalbard is probably one of the best places in the world to see bears behaving normally. And you stay on a ship or you stay in a Zodiac, separate from the bear, so it's safe, But the bear goes about his business. It doesn't associate you with food. We don't reward the animal. So it's not a fed bear. It's just, as far as it's concerned, you're just a piece of floating ice. And and so you can watch them hunt, you can watch them fight, you can watch them mate, you can watch them do all of those kinds of things. Whereas a, a black bear, I mean, once it goes into the forest 10 feet, it's gone. You know, you can't see it anymore unless you follow it. And so then you're more apt to be in a dangerous situation. And the same thing applies for brown bears. I live here in Calgary, which is in the foot of the Rocky Mountains. So the bears that are here are in forests. You're not going to follow a, a grizzly bear into the forest to see what it's doing. No, I mean if you, it's a it's an IQ test and it'll be a very
0: short career. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't write any more books, Wayne. <laughs> I. So what do you safety wise? What do you have? I mean, are, are you with um, – do you have someone always with you? Do you carry bear spray? Is it just you out in the field? Tell me what this is like. What are safety precautions?
1: Well, I'm always – almost always working in an um, unhunted population of animals. Unhunted.
0: So, okay. Unh-
1: Okay. And so, and I can be in a vehicle. I can be, when I'm in, when I'm in polar bear land in the Norwegian Arctic, um, I'm on, I'm leading a photo tour and we're in boats and everything else. So I'm the one controlling it. I'm the one with the rifle, taking the people ashore and deciding how close we get or how distant we get. And, um, and so in that circumstance, I mean, brown bears, again, there are safe places to photograph brown bears. And to see them, you can go to McNeil River Sanctuary. Everybody's heard of McNeil or Katmai National Park or, or uh, places in, in um, uh, coastal British Columbia where there are lodges and they bring people in little boats and you can look at them like that. I've often been lucky enough to have been invited by researchers to watch them from their study standpoints. So in the Canadian high Arctic, I would be perched on a hill with a spotting scope watching bears hunt. And so you get to see that, but that, that's a very uh, unusual circumstance. Not many people have access to that, unfortunately. But uh, uh, brown bears, most of the time, when I was working with researchers with brown bears, we were just tagging the bear. So you don't get to see it really do anything. You tag it and you get close. I mean, you get to hold a bear cub, but wow. I mean, it's a tranquilized bear. I mean, um, and that, that's fun until you take this bear cub into a helicopter and he starts to wake up when you're in the helicopter. That's
0: not a fun thing to
1: have. <laughs> no. So <laughs> it's time to land now. Time to land. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh. What a crazy life. Okay. So I just want to get back to a few things. You mentioned you only photograph in non-hunted areas. I don't know if this is digging too deep, but uh, what are your thoughts on um, on bear hunting,
1: trophy hunting, trophy um, hunting? I'm not a trophy hunter. I'm not. I don't hunt anything. Uh, I, I feed it the safe way at the grocery store, like most of us do. <laughs> What's my feeling about all shooting animals. The the wild animal population is a resource, and that resource should be there for all of us, not just for those who want to exploit that resource. And so as long as as a population of animals is managed well so that there's enough for you and me, the non-hunters, to see it, and for the hunters to shoot them if they want, they can. I don't feel I can morally stop someone from shooting a bear, I certainly don't want to, um, but uh, I think it's a relatively easy thing to do if I wanted to, but uh, so I think, but, but we should not manage populations for the vocal hunting minority. Here in Alberta, for example, 10% 10% of the population gets a fishing license, and 5% of the population gets a hunting license. So our management strategy should not be designed to keep fish in the lakes for that 10%, or to keep bears in the forest for that 5% that wants to shoot them. They should be there for the rest of us. And then then if they, I mean, it's all a matter of, of priorities. That's it. That's it, so.
0: Well, Wayne, I am in the, I I mean, I love where I live. I am in Idaho, but I feel like I'm a minority because like I'm not, you know, I don't hunt or fish. And so, I mean, and not that I'm against it. I'm not, I'm not a fan or I don't support like, like predator hunting and some of the methods. Like I feel like people here will bait bears and I feel like that's just not an ethical way to hunt um you know and you have hunters will argue and say they're man you know helping to manage a the population and they're taking out you know big boars that would otherwise kill cubs what are your thoughts on that because that's the argument right there
1: right well it's a it's a false argument because what happens when you start killing the dominant bears is that you get uh smaller bears moving in and you get a, you disrupt the whole population some data has shown that re- quite recently with brown bears that when you start killing the dominant bears uh, some of those dominant bears would have bred with females and have cubs that are their cubs they're not going to kill those cubs female males I'm quite convinced recognize who they bred with and whether that those cubs are theirs or not and they don't kill their own cubs but so as soon as you kill kill the big dominant bears then the younger bears come in oh that's not my cub and he kills them so it it leads to an unstable population so that's a, a false argument. It's just the science doesn't support it. And um so that's simple as that. I mean I mean the the uh I think you'd be surprised if you did this this found looked at the statistics in Idaho, how many really how many what percentage of the population actually has a hunting license? I was shocked by the Alberta stats uh-huh. because we're we're a redneck state just like uh, Idaho is. And uh <laughs> So uh, I was surprised that only five percent of the population hunts, but they're a very vocal minority. So you think there's more of them than there is, and they're they're saying, "Hey, we we need to shoot bears. We need to shoot this. We need to shoot that." Okay, well that's fair enough. I mean, I can't, I don't feel I can morally stop you from doing that, but I want to make sure that there's enough bears for me and for all of my friends who just want to look at bears, not just shoot them.
0: I just had an epiphany. You're right, Wayne. They are a very vocal group of people. And maybe that's why I feel you were so right. I mean, you are 100% right. Well, all you can do is you
1: can go to the state government websites and say, "What what percentage of El- of uh, Idahoans or however you say that?" Idahoans, <laughs> man. How do Idahoans have a a hunting license, a bear license or whatever it is. Maybe it's a general license for all big game. But see that, I mean, I have much less um, difficulty with people shooting an animal for food. You know, whether we kill a poor cow in in a livestock or whether we shoot an elk, that's okay. But again, once again, I want to see the elk out in the forest. Don't shoot so many of them that I can no longer see them. So... Uh, it's it's trophy hunting that I have the biggest problem with, which is just you know to to uh, raise their ego. That's what I think. But.
0: Yeah, you are so right. They are just a vocal bunch. I would be curious to look at the Idaho stats. I bet you're right. I bet they are probably a lot lower.
1: Oh, they are. I bet you. I, I bet you it does not exceed twenty
0: percent. Bet your money. Okay. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want yeah, to bet my. You're probably right. I'm just again, again, it's. You know, the,
1: Idaho is having a big problem with COVID. Alberta is having a big problem with COVID. Those are two groups of people, my, my people and your people, who don't listen to science. And so uh, there's a, a correlation here. I mean, uh, so um, go and have a look.
0: I'll tell you what, Wayne, if you go into my local grocery store here and wear a mask, it's like, <laughs> What? It's like someone is seeing a three-headed person, and like, what are you doing? The coronavirus isn't real. Like, I mean, not that. okay, I shouldn't completely. No, people believe it's real here, but I'm just saying it's a very. Um, I uh, don't it's, know. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's a touchy subject, and very touchy. And, and all of all the provinces in in Canada, Alberta's the worst, and uh-huh. why is it the? Worst? Because of the anti-vaxxers. And the anti-vaxxers are completely anti-science, which to me is you can't fix stupid. And so, uh, I mean, it is just it just what it is. And so, you just, it, we can't seem to convince them. We give them money, we do all kinds of things that I object to greatly. We should be fining them, not rewarding them. And uh, so, I'm sure Idaho is no different. Yeah. Quite And right. so there, there we are. And and we as a permissive society give these people all these rights, and uh, I have a right as a citizen. It's a privilege to live in a society, and to do that, there are certain rules that you have to comply with to live in that society. If you want to live out in the bush by yourself, have none of the benefits of society, go ahead. But if you want to live in my society and our society, then there are certain basic rules that you have to follow, like wear your seatbelt, stop at stop signs, don't speed through... uh, uh, school zones do all the kinds of things that we we automatically assume are are important. That's mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah. Okay. Back on to bears. Sorry, we got <laughs> on. A... <laughs> Back on to bears. Okay.
1: That's why I like bears? You can't catch COVID from a bear.
0: No. Oh my gosh. So I, how close, Wayne, are you getting to these bears?
1: Well, sometimes very close. Okay. Extremely. Close. But um, uh, most of the time, it's it's again. Um, habituated bears, habituated to people, not to, and unwary bears. I mean, in, in some of the sanctuaries, the wonderful sanctuaries in Alaska, for example, Katmai and in uh, McNeil Brown Bear Sanctuary, I've had bears like two meters, six feet away from me. You just stand beside the trail and it walks by because again, it doesn't view you as a reward or as as a danger. So it doesn't run from you or anything else. So uh, po- polar bears I've never been that that close to. I've been uh, c- close enough, but uh, it was foolishness on my part. I mean, most of the time the bears just want to stay away from you. Uh-huh. There are certain instances in populations where they've never seen people before. Probably the most um, dangerous most terrifying experience I ever had, my wife and I, during the 90s and, and early 2000s, photographed all of the national parks in Canada, the Arctic, the remote, when we had a new park designated in Canada, Arctic Camp, Aubrey and I were sent in to photograph it for the park service. And one of them, Vuntut, which is in the Yukon, right adjacent to Alaska, we were there and we had flown over with the helicopter and seen there was an archeological site at the top of this little summit. So after we set up our camp, we walked over to this hill to, to take a picture of the archeological site. And as we were climbing up the hill, A grizzly bear came over the top of the hill. We're in tundra, so there's no place to, no trees to climb or anything else. So we said, well, that's it. We turn around and we walk back to our camp. Slowly,
0: slowly, Wayne? Is that slowly? Very
1: slowly. And we walk for two kilometers and it followed us the whole way, 50 yards back. Just going along, you know, doing curious. Probably has never seen a person before. And so that kind of thing. But again, the bear. Bears aren't into deception. They don't get really close and say, okay, I'm going to get really close, and then I'm going to charge, because he doesn't know I'm going to charge. No, they they make their decision right away. This bear was curious and just followed behind. And then when we got to camp, there were two other people there, two rangers with us, and we all just sat around. And the bear veered off and went over and started digging roots. That was it. So he didn't do anything. He behaved like a bear does, and we behaved. And uh, that, that's kind of... so that encounter was a terrifying one mostly because of my own imagination the bear if it had intended to attack it would have attacked right away it's like it charge okay it feels threatened boom it it attacks or or runs away (laughs) more often than than attacking it'll do a bluff charge a real charge or run away that's
0: or so wayne what happens if it does charge what do you have do you have bear spray do you have a gun uh in the national parks, in those instances,
1: we weren't allowed to have a gun, so I, I didn't have a gun. I had bear, and bear spray we couldn't carry in the helicopter, so I didn't have anything. And uh, oh. so, when, when I go into the Rockies, uh, hiking here in the park, I do have bear spray. But that's mostly to keep the people away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, that was good. Right,
1: the main thing is, is, is uh, you just try and not get into a circumstance where you give a bear no option okay of course you, you can have bad luck you can happen upon a bear that's just killed something or has has taken over a carcass of an animal that died naturally and then you just happen to be on a trail going nearby and the bear thinks you want to take the carcass from it and that will attack you i'm talking about brown bears not grizzlies not black bears black bears um most times i mean black bears will run away if they are aggressive with you then the that the tact is quite different with a black bear versus a brown bear. With a black bear, you fight aggressively with the bear to to, to try and stop it from hurting you. A brown bear, you don't do that. I mean, you, you first of all try and avoid the contact to begin with. Then if it does, you'll climb a tree and try and try and climb as high as possible. If the bear should pursue you, then you can use your bear spray. Or if you don't have time to do that, and the bear makes contact, even with the spray, then you just try and roll into a ball and hope that that the bear will just chew on you a bit and leave you. So it's two different. With a black bear, you act aggressively. With a brown bear, you act passively.
0: So you're with your wife. Are you in your mind when the grizzly gets close thinking, like, do you have a game plan? I've never
1: had that happen, you see. I mean, when we were out in the mountains, or out in the Yukon, that was different. Suddenly the bear showed up, so we just walked. But here in the mountains, I just make noise. I I, I talk loudly all the time. Bear bells, I mean, that's the old joke, you know, it's bear bells is just like a dinner bell. But I mean, I do talk loudly. Yo, bear, yo, bear, you know, coming through, bear. And uh, so, of course, that eliminates nice wildlife encounters that you might have with other species. But it's the price you pay.
0: Oh, so I would think you wouldn't want to make noise if you're a photographer because you want to, like, get that, you know, you, you're trying right. to photograph them.
1: Right. And, and so there's the there's the catch 22. So you just I just do it because it's too dangerous otherwise. And so most of the brown bears that I photographed in the Canadian Rockies, I've done from a vehicle.
0: OK, I have
1: or, to. Side a- of vehicle.
0: Oh, OK. I have to ask you, Wayne, what are your thoughts on Timothy Treadwell, the grizzly man? You can't fix stupid. Really?
1: Well, I mean, t- Treadwell, you see, again, it's a variation in uh, bear behavior. Okay. And uh, and so uh, what he did was try and think that he could understand what a bear did. I mean, bears don't read the, the rule book. And in that case, I don't know what, what bear killed him. I don't remember. I mean, I had a very good friend, misha Hoshino, who was killed by a bear in Kamchatka in Russia. And I... Uh, and, uh, I know that case more than I know Timothy Treadwell's case, except from seeing TV and reading the book. And so, um, in Michio's case, he was with a Japanese film crew uh, from the city, from Tokyo. The, the, and so, these people had no experience with bears whatsoever. Michio, I saw Michio in March of this particular year, and the following summer he was killed and eaten by the bear. So that, so what happened was. Um, Misho was in, there was a small cabin where they were staying. They were going to film brown bears. Misho had been around a lot of brown bears in Alaska. He always behaved very properly. He had never had any problems with brown bears. Um, so the, the men were snoring inside the cabin. And so Misho said, I'm going to sleep outside. So he set up his tent outside, and he went uh, to sleep in the tent. And in the middle of the night, the bear attacked him. And uh, and according to the reports from um, that poor Michio screamed for 20 minutes before the, the, you know, he finally died. And, um, and what they didn't realize is there were like nine or 10 people in that cabin, nine or 10 people can intimidate a bear, but you have to be, have to know you can do that, go out with pots and pans, a big group. It could have scared the bear off, but you can't fault those men. They had no field experience. And so they were terrified themselves and this, uh, poor Michio, uh, suffered the consequences.
0: Oh, that is horrific. Oh, my yeah, God.
1: bear situation. We hear about all those cases. What about the thousands of times that bears didn't bother us? The thousands of interactions that people have with bears every day for those hiking in the mountains, sea bears at a distance, uh, you know, running away. I mean, I've seen thousands of bears and I've never even come close to being injured or in, I've been bluff charged only once by a black bear. And... Um, uh, Never by a brown bear. All my experiences have been good, except for that. Well, that one—it was just a curious bear. It didn't hurt me. Didn't bother with me. But uh, so.
0: Yeah, yes. and I should tell the audience. I mean, you're more likely to be killed by a coconut than a bear, oh, or, yeah. or 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 in a car just going down the street. You know, I oh, mean, yes.
1: yeah. lightning, all of those things. You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> coconut. yeah. In Idaho, is
0: it? <laughs> there are no coconuts. What a horrible way to go, though. If I'm killed by a coconut, I hope they don't write anything about that. You know what I mean? You know, people be like, oh, that makes sense. Killed by a coconut. <laughs> so. That's- on your on your tombstone you know (laughs) oh my god killed by a coconut well Wayne and I guess you know and the reason why you wrote this book is you wanted to change people's perceptions of bears and I I love how we've just I've been asking you about bear attacks and what do you do um and yeah so that was a huge I guess a huge reason why you wrote this book correct to change that perception
1: well, the, the percept- for everything that I write about, and I've written about penguins, I've written about owls, about ecosystems, is to share with people and and help them understand the complexity that exists in our world and how rich the lives, the, these animals, the rich lives that they live. And, not, not be, and to therefore value them as uh, being viable components of our planet. If you don't value something, if you don't understand it, you'll let it. Drift into extinction, which we've done so much of. So, all of my intention is science. I find terribly stimulating and exciting, and and um, and often we just get the the even the the, the uh, beautiful documentaries you see on wildlife on television and stuff are all very superficial they don't get into the real nitty-gritty of what what the decisions that bears make what how why bears kill cubs how females avoid having their cubs killed all the strategies that they use to counter that threat I mean those are shows you that it's a thinking creature it's calculating maybe not on, certainly not on the level of us, maybe on the level of some of the anti-vaxxers, but not uh, m- not on the, uh, the level of most people. And so that that's the exciting part to me, is that I I, I hope to change people's um, perceptions of bears, but more than anything, just to, to, it's what I call gee whiz science, excite them that there, there's so much to learn and that, that that's what you can use the human brain for, is to understand our fellow creatures, And maybe understand each other better too.
0: Yes, and let's get into it. I mean, because you said that you know a lot of the documentaries don't get into all that stimulating science. I mean, I found you know let's let's get into it. You know, why are male bears killing cubs? Well, I mean, male.
1: All of us, every creature on the planet, is here for one reason. Our genes dictate um, our behavior, and that behavior is designed for one thing: replication in more copies of Wayne, more copies of you, you know. And, and so that's what your behavior is, is uh, targeted for. And that's why male bears kill cubs. They want to replicate. And, and by killing a cub, the mother will, will go into estrus or into heat relatively quickly. And uh, in fact, she will, she will uh, not only become receptive to a male, will actively seek out a male. Once she stops nursing, she can switch into uh, estrus mode, heat mode, and uh, seek out a male and and become impregnated again. But the females don't like this. I mean, in terms of all animals, males are really just are uh, um contributors of sperm it's like one shot and doom you're done the the bulk of the work is done by the female they're the ones that carry this heavy load do all the heavy lifting in a pregnancy so they don't want to terminate that pregnancy so they'll do all kinds of things to prevent it they'll den at different times than the bears they'll come out later than the male bear so that they don't uh um intercept a, accidentally intercept a, a foreign male they will choose territories or or, or travel routes not frequented by males and some even in Alaska and exciting studies that were done there everyone knows that bears go to salmon streams and they put on big weight and that produces big brown bears but some females on some of the islands off the coast of Alaska choose to avoid uh, salmon streams why because there's males there and it can kill their cubs so they're making a decision I will have uh, I'll have nutrition that's inferior, I'll eat berries and roots and stuff, but I'll save my cubs. Okay. So so they're making decisions, uh, I'll compromise nutrition in favor of reproduction.
0: Okay. And I have a question. You mentioned, you know, different strategies females will do to keep males away. Have you, I believe her name is 399, have you photographed her in the Grand Teton National Parks? No, I haven't. No. no. But but she's a famous, I'm sure you know about her, right? The famous bear who uh, I think she has, what does she have, four or five cubs? She still has them, I think. Um, But they were saying that she is so intelligent because she keeps those cubs close to the road and near the park entrances because the large male bears prefer to stay away from the tourists and and the roads. And I found that really interesting, like a tactic to keep her cubs alive.
1: Yeah, and, and, and in McNeil Brown Bear Sanctuary, many females did that. They had a platform where all the human visitors could sit and watch the bears fishing at the stream. And some of those females realized that if they got approached by a male, they could just run over to where the, where the humans were, sit beside them, and they would, like six feet away with their cubs, and the male wouldn't come anywhere near them. So they're using all these strategies all the time, just to, they, and, or they can ally themselves with another female, who then the two of them might be able to intimidate the male. So it's it's uh, pretty conscious stuff uh, and um, calculated.
0: That's interesting. So a female with cubs will sometimes go to with to another female with cubs, and they'll kind of be like an alliance.
1: Well, it, it, again, we don't because we haven't been able to identify individuals. We uh-huh. don't know what relatedness is. You see, so is this a sister? Is this an, a former? Cu- uh, a cub of hers from before. We don't know for sure, but uh, they will use all of these different possibilities to protect their cubs.
0: What is this? Do you know the survival rate of cubs? Do they have like a rough estimate?
1: Well, in, it, in some pop, it varies from population sure. to population, but usually maybe 25 to 50% of cubs survive the first year. The, the, the most dangerous part are the first few weeks when they leave the den and they come out until midsummer during the breeding season again because that's when most of the cubs are killed is during the breeding season which for brown bears and black bears in north america is may and june and so during those months the cubs are particularly vulnerable because males i mean because all the big males that have been shot by trophy hunters (laughs) and are now dead and so all that's left are these young bucks who want to establish, they want to replicate because who knows how many opportunities they will have so they're out there and they will kill cubs as soon as they see them to try and uh, impregnate that female.
0: Yes. Okay. And how, and they, and the females have delayed, um, delayed implantation, correct? Or embryonic, embryonic diapause. No, yeah. We'll say
1: no, because it's, well, what it is, is that they'll breed in April and May, but it stays as a blastocyst and a blastocyst is the size of a pinhead. So it's basically a uh, minute ball of cells and it just floats around in the uterus uh-huh. until the fall and then it implants in the fall based on, this is one of the exciting, based on the amount of fat that she has because there's no use starting a pregnancy if she can't sustain it it's dangerous to her and it's futile for the pregnancy so they, so they wait and then the, the photo period or the length of, uh, of hours of daylight, that's the trigger, that's the cue telling the, the animal's body, okay, time to implant now, but if she doesn't have adequate fat reserves, like 20 or 30% fat in her body, she won't implant. She'll just abort the pregnancy. And I mean, the same thing happens in humans all the time. Why do you think marathon runners can't get pregnant? Because they may they may uh, fertilize the egg, but it won't implant just because the female doesn't have the fat reserves. Hmm. Now. Uh, so that they they have really mixed up menstrual periods, all kinds of. Again, because it, the organism is saying, "Hey, I, I can barely keep you alive. How am I supposed to keep another organism alive?" So,
0: so can they hold on to that blastocyst until the next following year? Do we know? No, no, they can't. Okay. No.
1: As far as we know.
0: As far as you know. And how long will the cubs stay with with the with the mom, the female?
1: Varies. It varies with the species. With the the bigger bears, the brown bears and the polar bears, they're usually with their mother for two and a half years. With the black bears, uh, they're with the mother one and a half years. But again, in in um, but again, the, the, here's the thing: the mother wants to get rid of the cubs as quickly as possible. Why? So she can breed again, get more copies of her genes out there. The cubs want to stay with their parents because it's a, it's easy living, you know. It's and and they it enhances their survival. So it's kind of a, a conflict between the two of them. Anyway, in, in, uh, in Scandinavia, they've done studies on brown bears where maybe 40% of the population is the cubs are leaving after one and a half years. So that's quite an unusual situation. It doesn't happen in North America. The brown bears stay with their, cub, with their mother until they're two and a half years old. But in Scandinavia, a per- percentage of them um, break up at one and a half years. And it would all be based on is food available? can they can remember bears are omnivorous they're primarily eating uh nuts and berries and things like roots and things like that although in sweden they are feeding on moose calves so but that's it
0: was that difficult to photograph bears and uh moose calves are like witnessing when they hunt
1: i never saw them kill a moose calf um i just uh what I just have never seen that and and the only reason we know they do that is because they put radio callers on 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 moose calves and so they can follow and then they can go in and follow them and say oh oops he got eaten by a bear and um and so and in fact they put they put um video camera on 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 one bear and so they could actually watch how long it stayed with a moose calf when it killed it and
0: oh okay you know, okay
1: as- But predators kill a lot of young ungulates, young hoofed mammals. Black bears kill white-tailed deer, mule deer. Brown bears kill moose, elk, Mm -hmm. and in the Arctic,
0: muskoxen and caribou. Okay, so I have a question. So we've been talking a lot about the black bears here in North America that we have. Is there like a huge difference between the black bears here and the Asiatic black bears? No, there isn't. They, They
1: fill the same niche, ecological niche, so they're filling the same um thing because there are brown bears in in Russia and there are brown bears in northern Japan on the island of Hokkaido um but um so they're the same size same basic strategy probably a little more arboreal like life in the trees than our bears are because they have a lot more acorns and and things like that that require them to climb uh so they're probably more arboreal than ours are but otherwise very similar and probably share a common ancestor
0: okay if you had to pick one out of the four that you wrote about, which is your favorite?
1: Oh, polar bear, no question. Oh man, I would because I really love the Arctic, and um, and I just spent, even despite COVID, I was there for three weeks this summer working on on loons, and uh, so I just love the Arctic, and um, and there's no people, and it's just beautiful, and it's pure, and it's, but it's of course one of the most threatened environments on the planet because of climate change. But polar bears are just the prettiest. I think the long necks is out on the sea ice. That's pretty hard to top, you know, uh, black bears and brown bears are kind of bumbling along. You know, they never have that stately beauty to my eye anyway, that a polar bear has. So I, I just like polar bears the best.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, Wayne, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Will you join me for the after show? Do I have a choice? Yeah, no. <laughs> nope, no. I'm your publicist said yes. No, uh, really quick though. Can you tell my listeners when Bears of the North, A Year Inside Their Worlds is released? It's supposed to be released the 5th of October. That's what they say. But you can go on to
1: Amazon or find bookstores near you today <laughs> and uh, and pick up a copy. thank is... you. even if you never plan to see a bear in your life, you will um, be fascinated by how these animals are able to survive.
0: That is amazing. Awesome. Well, listeners, if you want to join us over for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. And Wayne, I cannot wait to ask you in the after show. I'm going to ask you about the mysterious moon bear. All right, join us.